Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles or you got access to one, turn to Jeremiah. And we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 23. Chapter 23, and we'll go verses 1 through 8. And then uh, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Jeremiah 23, 1 through 8 says, Woe to the shepherds who are causing the sheep of my pasture to perish, and scattering them, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the shepherds who are tending my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away, and have not been concerned about them. Behold, I am going to call you to account for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock, out of all the countries where I have driven them, and bring them back to their pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. I will also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend them, and they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name, by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought the sons of Israel up from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the descendants of the household of Israel back from the north land and from all the countries where I have driven them. Then they will live on their own soil. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and that you have given it to us and that you continue to speak to us through your word, your eternal word. Let us uh, just cherish it today to hear it with open hearts, open ears, so that you can do what only you can do and uh, change our hearts, change our lives from the inside out. Thank you for this transformative gospel. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you weren't here last time I was here, I'll give you a super short recap. We looked at Second uh, uh, Timothy 1, 7, and we talked about fear, specifically about fear, about spreading the gospel. And we talked about how that church was dealing with both fear and excitement and, and pastorlessness. So we kind of looked at those things together. And the final encouragement was hey, by the power of the Holy Spirit, y'all continue to shepherd one another, regardless of your situation with a pastor or not. Continue to be pastors, a pastoring people, a people who help shepherd each other and care for each other with the gospel. So today, it's not really a prequel or a sequel, but it's, I guess, a partner message to that one. And you may be wondering, how? <laughs> so we looked at the examples of Paul, and Timothy, and even the church at Ephesus, but we, we really didn't get to look at the good shepherd and how he, sh he cares for his flock, how he shepherds, and that's where we pick up today. So as we're going through this text, I want you to think about uh, the way that we often, um, we can't do something that hasn't been done to us first. So we often just have a default where we operate from what we've been taught or what we've seen. 
So the way you've been discipled is the way you're naturally going to disciple others. So if you've not been discipled, if you've not been how to read the script, taught how to read the scriptures, and you lead someone to Christ, that's where it's going to end, likely. They're going to watch you. They're going to catch things from you. Intuitively, they're going to pick things up. But if you don't teach them the things that you've been taught and pass them down, then they won't pick it up. And here we have uh, kind of the really dark example of the shepherds of the time, but then we also have this big, bright example. And I want to argue to you this morning that the big idea here is that through those negative experiences that we've had, and we've all experienced bad shepherds, maybe not in the church setting, but in general, we've experienced bad leadership. And it's those hurts and the traumas and even intuition God gave us that helps us discern what good shepherding is. So it's almost like we need the negative experience to better see the light. It's like a backdrop of black, and when the light hits it, you can finally really see what you should have been seeing all along. Something tells you in your gut, in your heart, you know, this is not right, but you can't really put your finger on it. And this is kind of what we have here. I recently heard a funny story about, uh, about shepherding, and it illustrates this point a little bit about our perception and, and what we've seen versus what reality is. This teacher, he went with a group from his church to Israel, and I guess they were in a tour bus. They were passing these big pastures, and he saw a shepherd out there, and all these sheep were gathered around, and he's like, stop, stop. I got to go and see like what I've been missing out on. And so he runs up, you know, super excited to ask so many questions. And he gets up there and he sees the shepherd and he's got his staff and he's like beating the sheep. And, you know, I would get it if he was like breaking a leg or two, you know, of one of them to keep him like in line. But he's like beating all of them and he's smacking them and he's. Let's say he's not using the best of language, screaming at him and yelling. And finally, the tour guide comes up and he says, uh, what's going on? He's like, I, I mean, he's like driving them. He's not leading them. And he's like, I wanted to ask him about shepherding, but I don't think I should now. And the guy tells him, yeah, it'd probably be best not to because that's the butcher, not the shepherd. So... <laughs> so and I, from my understanding, it's a true story. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of a funny example of how our perspective can, can kind of trick us. But it's also a good example of how we really don't have to have a lot of specific knowledge about a topic. Sure, God was using this shepherd imagery because they lived in a more agrarian culture where shepherding and farming were familiar, but... The second point I want to make to you this morning is that I think God is using shepherding as an image throughout all of Scripture to reveal something deeper to us, a theological point, something about his character and nature can be found in shepherding that, aren't not, that are not found in other forms of ruling and other forms of uh, governing. So we have the, we have the negative examples in verses 5, uh, Verses 1 through 4, we have the negative examples. But 
we often see the Bible using this bad to good kind of uh, illustration. If you think about uh, bad leaders, think of Third John, super short letter, but he talks about one really bad leader and one good leader. And with Diotrephes, the, the poor leader, he tells all the things that he's doing wrong. Not being hospitable, not standing up for the truth, not taking care of these traveling ministers. But with Demetrius, he just says, Demetrius, on the other hand, is a good leader. And uh, his, his character and his life report to that testimony, and the elders say the same thing. So you have like all these examples of how the bad is, and he has to point them out, but for the good, he just kind of sets it as an example. You know what this looks like. And think about also not just leadership, but with love. In 1 Corinthians 13, you have Paul defining love by what it's not. Because in a fallen world, we often experience and see what things are not. And we've got to reckon with that before we can kind of see the light of what is. So, you know, Paul says over and over, it is not this. Love is not that. It will not do this. It will not even think about doing that. And in the end, uh, we know that Christ, that God is love. Christ gives us that example. But do you hear that, that good to bad reasoning there? This is what we find in Jeremiah. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. In 1 through 4, we have the poor examples. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. This is the Lord's declaration. Already, the verbs here tell us something's off. (laughs) destroying and scattering. Like you might be saying already, like, hold up, I'm not a shepherd, but I know, I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to destroy them. (laughs) I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to scatter them. They gather them, right? It's gather them and take care of them. It's the opposite of this. But it goes on. This, This is like God using Jeremiah here to put down the charge. This is what you're guilty of. And then kind of the sentence, sentencing. This is what I'm going to do in light of that. Uh, this is the Lord's decora- declaration. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the shepherds who shepherd my people. You have scattered my flock. Again, it's kind of repeating in detail. Banished them and have not attended to them. So those are three things we're going to look at today. Uh, they've driven them away. They've scattered them and they have not attended to them. So because of that, I will attend to you and take care of your evil acts, and it it goes on. But those three things are what what we'll look at in more detail, but first I want you to notice something with me. There's There's a phrase that keeps popping out, and in, in some translations, I like uh, NASB here on this one, it says, declares the Lord in verse 1 at the end of that. Uh, then in verse 2, therefore, thus says the Lord, God of Israel. And then it ends with declares the Lord. And then verse, th- uh, verse uh, 3, right? 
verse 3. Okay, sorry. Verse 4, this is the Lord's declaration. So every time God makes a statement in this, he's, he's reaffirming them that this is his word. And Jeremiah's doing this, but God, God is the one at work here. And this is something we should pay attention to. All prophets do this, and even Moses. They don't speak their own thoughts and ideas. They take God's word and continue to expound upon them. So we have, you know, Bible expositors all the way through Scripture. They're not coming up with their own thing. They're saying what God would have them say. Another thing about that, about this being the eternal word of God that we're listening to, is that they didn't really have bold print. Like our Bibles might have italics and bold, but the way Hebrew writers and even Greek wanted to emphasize something would be to repeat it. And so at the end of each one of these phrases, Jeremiah's reminding the people, this is not me, this is God. These are the words of God coming here. So this is something that we need to pay, really pay attention to. Not only God's indictment of these bad shepherds, but what it's going to look like when he makes a promise. Right here, the context is uh, really the last four kings of uh, is, uh, Jerusalem and, and Judah. He's calling them out. Jeremiah came up during the time of Josiah. Do you all remember Josiah, eight-year-old king? Ireland just turned eight uh, this month. And she's, you know, my princess, but I wouldn't trust her to run a nation. <laughs> and uh, no offense, you know. But what made him so good and awesome was not just that he was young, but when he was young, he heard the word of God. And he said, that's where we got it wrong. We're going to read that every day. <laughs> We're going to listen to that and obey that. That's God Almighty speaking. This is why we lost our way. But unfortunately, it ended bad. And then not only did he go away from the Lord and lead the people away from the Lord, but his son, Jehoahaz, and you can back up chapters 20, 21, 22, kind of he's calling them out individually, all these kings. His son, Jehoahaz, I think he becomes king around 18 or something like that. He leads the people astray. Uh, all the bad things that Josiah ended his life doing, he doubles down on it and does worse. Well, he dies, and his brother, his older brother, Jehoiakim, or Kim, one of those, uh, takes over. Same stuff. They're not only treating God's people poorly, they're like having them killed. They're doing really wicked stuff. Some of it is to help them, prop them up. But a lot of it is just outright evil, where you can't even find a reasoning behind it. Just following after false gods. And he dies, and his son takes over, Jehoiakim, or Kim, whichever one. I, I always get him. <laughs> it's fucked up. Takes over, and he does the same thing. So finally, Jeremiah's called out all of these. And in this one, he's really speaking more specifically to Zedekiah. Uh, and we'll see that he doesn't call him out by name for a particular reason, we'll come back to that. But each one of these kings has just, it's, it's like they, they remember King David and how awesome that was, and even King Solomon, some of his reign, you know, but they're, it's like they want to just tank the season. Are you all familiar with that? Like in basketball or football, if, 
if a team's doing poorly, uh, they say, hey, if we come in last, we'll be first for the draft pick next year. <laughs> so we'll get the next newest best players. And uh, they'll actually tank a season. They'll intentionally lose. They'll have people injured on the injured list and stuff so that they can get the best pick. And it seems almost like that's what they were doing. I mean, why else would you want to anger God? Like, not just run from him, but anger him, hurt his people. Like, it's, it's hard to really understand. And then Jeremiah, you know, he, he calls us back to, to the very beginning, to Moses. You know, I mentioned he talks about how this is God's word, this is God's word. If you look in uh, verse 3, it says, I will gather the remnant of my flock from all the lands where I have banished them, and I will return them to their grazing land, and they will become fruitful and numerous. I like other translations better because they make it more clear. Be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 1.28. So he's bringing it all the way back to, to the beginning, saying God's had this great plan all along, and we've missed it. And not only have we missed it, but these people that God entrusted to, to take over, to help govern and lead his people, they've missed it, and missed it by a very long shot. And Jeremiah's called the weeping prophet, and you understand why when you start reading this. Basically, from verse, I mean, from chapter 1 to right here, it's pretty much all bad news. And he even says uh, he, he's carrying them as oracles. Like, uh, this word's not just like a, a foretelling of what's going to happen, but it's a burden. And he has to, if you've ever had to teach a Sunday school or, or preach or anything like that, and you have a message, it, it does weigh on you. And until you get it out, it's, it's a weight, it's a burden. And you can see why Jeremiah loves his, his people. He loves God's people, and he doesn't want to have to say this. But over and over, he's giving threats and warnings, and God is saying through him, it's not too late, turn back. If you'll quit all this and turn back, you won't have to go through the punishment. Stop. Stop. <laughs> and it's pleading. There, I think it's chapter 3 if you read that. You almost cry. If you read it out loud, you, I, I'm telling you, it'll be hard. Because he talks, it's God pleading with his own creation to turn away from Baal worship, to turn away from all these disgusting things that they're doing. And they know, they've known the truth, and God's still saying, please don't do this. Jeremiah's got a, you know, a, a heavy job, a serious job. But right here, it's like he's opening the window a little bit. Even though, to this point, it's been threats, now he's actually saying doom. Doom is going to happen, destruction, woe. In other words, it's too late now. These are recorded uh, prophecies that he actually would have preached them aloud and then later had them recorded. Uh, and so you can hear how his message over time as he's condemning these kings goes from please stop, please stop, to okay, you wouldn't stop, and now this is what's going to happen. And he tells them the Babylonians are going to come down and going to take you out. And we know that in, I think it's 586, somewhere around there, 
all of this did come to pass. These were the last kings, the last group of kings, and what do you know? God was right. Jeremiah said what was going to happen, and it happened. But even here, even as he's pronouncing, woe, a disaster, there's 13, I think 13 woes. We won't read them all like, like we did in Timothy. But there's 13 different woes, but this one starts this unique thing where he kind of cracks open a window, and I don't know about y'all, but I relate everything to food. And, you know, your favorite dish, you can, even before it's being cooked, you can smell all the individual pieces. You know, you're like, are they making, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, chicken pot pie, pie or whatever. And you can, you can smell each ingredient. Well, right here, you can see that Jeremiah's kind of just opening the window so that you can kind of, what we standing on the other side of it, knowing what Jesus looks like, knowing that he was the branch of David, can kind of smell that aroma coming in, that aroma of Christ, knowing, oh, he's starting to put the pieces together for him, that even though destruction is coming, there's an ultimate, eternal Savior. There's a king who's going to come who's going to shepherd like nobody ever could, who's going to lead and guide and protect and care for us. But first, we have to have that, that negative example set before us. So we talked about how they were terrible leaders, and you can get more details if you go, go through there and read. But think about for us. Have you ever been a part of a flock that had been scattered or driven away or unattended, uncared for? Or have you even felt like that, even if it wasn't necessarily an, an intentional thing? And maybe when we say flock and all that, you might think of church setting, but just think in general. Have you ever been, you know, felt cast out, scattered? I can think of a story that kind of encapsulates all three of these feelings and, and kind of gets into it somewhat deeply, I guess. Uh, there's a podcast. Um, I don't necessarily recommend it uh, unless you have a specific reason to listen to it. It's not bad, but uh, it's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And it was a church that uh, kind of literally exploded. Uh, they went, it got super big, and then uh, in a matter of almost days, went away. And there was a lot of poor leadership behind the scenes that was going on. As, you, as I listened to it, it was sort of therapeutic for me because it brought up things that I had experienced even recently before coming to the crossing. Uh, and without going into the details of that, I, like, I, I remember one of the families that went through this with us saying, it's like we've been orphaned. Our elders and our shepherd, they just, like, they were like our spiritual fathers, and they just gave us up. And you, you hear these people saying this on the podcast, and it's like, man, it made me thankful that our story wasn't as severe but at the, on the other hand, made me kind of come to grips with, oh, maybe there's some spiritual trauma here, too. And, you know, if trauma's too scary of a word for you, uh, like one of, our, one of our friends, he's had many, many knee surgeries, but he's an athlete, so, like, when he does squats or sits down, you can hear, like a door, <laughs> you know? 
And it's all that, that's trauma. It's all that loose stuff in there, gurgling around, making sounds. And that's, that's what I realized was going on in my heart when I, when I heard the story. It's like, oh, okay, that did hurt. <laughs> that wasn't good for them to do, which I knew that at a heart level, but uh, hearing that, it made me realize just how damaging it was. Um, and so you can imagine a whole nation of people having experiences and longing for a king, longing for a king like David who would rule again. So I don't know if y'all can relate with that story in particular, but think of, think of that, that kind of pain, that hurt that they must have been going through. And if you can't, live, I think most of you have a few years on me, but live long enough and you will. <laughs> you will experience some pain similar to that. But now this is the hinge point, going from that bad example to the good example. Here's where God starts to lay it out very clearly for us, what's coming. Verses 5 and 6. It says, the days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when I will raise up a righteous branch of David. He will reign, reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. So there's, there's our two verbs. We had driven, scattered away, not attended to before, but now we have the branch of David who's going to reign wisely as king and he's going to administer justice and righteousness. It's, it's almost the exact reverse of what was going on before, but even bigger, you know. It's not just like two equals. It's like a poor example and then this big, huge, great example that you could have never imagined. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is what he will be named Yahweh, our righteousness. So how's he going to reign? Uh, did, did you notice the theme, sh I mean, I'm sorry, the, the language shift just then from God was talking about shepherds in verses 1 through 4. You, you did a bad job, shepherds, you know, woe is coming to you. But here, he doesn't say anything about sheep at all. Nothing about shepherds. He says, a king's coming. I think that's to emphasize that Jesus is the one true king with authority. These other shepherds, they were stewards. They didn't, the sheep did not belong to them. They were merely taking care of them for a season, and they failed to do that. And now he's saying he's going to send in the branch of David. God sounds, you know, it, even in the, the verse right before that, verse 4, God sounds pretty angry. You know, he's, he's vindicating his people. And it's a righteous anger, of course. Is God. But think about this. Like if this was your, 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 your flock or your child, your children, and somebody was abusing them. You know, it's, some people make word play about this and say that they were fleecing the flock and that you never trust a shepherd who wears a, a wool coat. But it goes far beyond that. Like they were actually trying to destroy them. They were intentionally hurting them. I mean, you would be absolutely angry. But instead of sending a king who would come down and smite the people, and not just smite the king, but smite the people who followed him into, the, into darkness, he sends 
a savior, one who's going to do the opposite. He's going to put all things right. If you look at 2 Samuel 7, 16, which we don't, we're not going to turn there, but we see the first promise of the branch of David, where David's promise, I'm going to use your family to rule this nation, and you'll always have someone sitting on the throne. And then you see this picked up again and again through the prophets, not just Jeremiah, but through a, a majority of them. And so th- that's, this is what they were looking for as Jesus came on the scene. And spoiler alert, the branch of David is Jesus. <laughs> so that's, that's what we have here. Like Jesus is fulfilling what he promised, not just to, through Samuel, not just through Jeremiah and the other prophets, but even in the garden when he said he was going to uh, make them fruitful and, and multiply. The whole reason God created humanity and set them in the garden and set them in his creation was to bring him worship. He made worshipers in his image to fill the earth. And then you see it in the Abrahamic covenant where he talks to Abraham in uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and he promises him that he'll use him and his family, which would become the nation of Israel, to bless all the families of the earth. But how could they even have their eyes on that when they were beaten and battered and left, left for dead, essentially? The branch of David was Jesus, and those two things that he's going to do is reign and rule, which is totally different than anything they've seen before. A, a king who comes down as a baby. You know, we thought Josiah was young. <laughs> but, but Jesus comes down as a newborn. And even then he's recognized. Who recognizes him first? Shepherds. Shepherds, angels, and wise men, who, or magi, which a lot of people think were rulers of, of places, not just, you know, uh, not just wise people. <laughs> and likely not just three of them. Although there were three gifts, there's likely a whole crowd of earthly kings and shepherds saying, this is the one true king. And then if you keep reading, uh, Zechariah says, I believe it's Zechariah, says, I can die now. I've seen, I've seen Jesus. I've seen the branch of David. And he actually quotes this again, I've seen the branch. If you keep reading in Jeremiah and you get to 30 through 31, that's actually the passage where it really opens up and the promises start flooding in. Uh, 33:15, he quotes this same thing again. The branch of David is coming. So it becomes this theme that we're looking for the branch of David, the guy who's going to come and rule rightly. But the ruling is a lot different than what even the disciples expect. They know it's going to be different if he's the Messiah, but they don't really know what to expect. They don't have a framework for it like many of us don't. We may have the negative to know it's not that, but what is it really? And he blows their minds at every turn. And us too. If you read through the Gospels as if for the first time, every time Jesus responds or acts or reacts to something, you're like, why? <laughs> why did he do that? It'll never be something that you expect. You know, they're, they're going to kill him. Uh, and somebody cuts you know, the ear off, and he heals them while they're going to kill him. Like, I mean, every time, I 
a prostitute starts washing his feet with her hair, and he doesn't say, you know, this is weird, stop. <laughs> he, he uses it as a teaching lesson just over and over and over. There are these examples where we see Jesus is different. But not only is he different in the way he acts in everyday life, but the way he rules and reigns. He tells the disciples uh, to, to lead with me is going to mean to serve. Watch me. I'm going to take this towel and wash your feet. And he tells them time and time again, it's all throughout the Gospels, that you will not lord your authority over people. This call to follow me means that you're going to die like I die. You're going to serve the people unto death. You're going to lay down your life for them just as I do for you. Totally backwards from our way of thinking. So the kingdom is sort of, some people call it an upside-down kingdom. So we have uh, like an immediate partial fulfillment because I believe it's about 70 years after this, Ezra and Nehemiah come on the scene, but they're not the branch of David. They do part of this. They help them rebuild. They act as good shepherds. But as we said, the kingdom was smashed, and there's never been a, a kingdom, an earthly kingdom, there since. Uh, even 1949, you can't really consider the nation of Israel uh, with a kingdom because they're still scattered, scattered all throughout the world. So this prophecy didn't reach its fulfillment yet, but in Jesus, not only did it get a partial fulfillment with Ezra and Nehemiah, but it has a double fulfillment. It's not just like, oh, here's the promise. It's the promise and more. Like we were talking about, the, the poor example doesn't even begin to come close to the, to the great example. Think about, sorry to use sports illustration, but I, I was thinking about Larry Bird. And I think y'all are probably familiar with him. He was so good that he made these all-stars, people who broke records, uh, just think that they couldn't even play. <laughs> he, would tell them, he would go up against certain uh, players and tell them, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guard me right here on this spot in the floor when we come back down here, and I'm going to make it right, right in your face. And he would do it. And these are people who have spent hours and hours and hours practicing, and here's this farmer out here just destroying. It's so much greater, <laughs> so much greater with God that you have, uh, you know, this, what you think is good, what you think is right, and then you see the true meaning of what it is to be perfect and righteous. And it's in that righteousness that God saves us. We talk about justification. He's made us just as if we had never sinned. He's made us pure in the Father's image, and that's, that's true. But this passage, passage highlights to us that Jesus' righteousness clothes us. It actually makes us new. Like all of, all of those past hurts and stuff didn't happen to us. Like we ourselves have probably been bad shepherds at times. And yet he gives us this robe of righteousness to wear before the Father. And not just at the end of time, but as we live here. His righteousness is for us here. He makes us holy. He makes us more and more like him as we walk with him more. Jesus ruled totally differently. His, his idea of justice was different than what most people thought they were looking for. 
If you look in Mark chapter 6, we'll see a, a common theme that comes up in Jesus' ministry alongside compassion. Uh, six, chapter 6, 33 and 34. It says, The people saw them going, and many recognized them, and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And then he goes on to feed at least 5,000 hungry people. And there are so many of examples of Jesus' great compassion like this. You can actually hear Jesus saying that many times uh, throughout the Gospels as he's moved with compassion and he sees people hurting. There's even a time when he sees a demon-possessed man and heals him. And then people say, hey, he's doing this by the power of the devil. And his response is to be moved with compassion, to look, to look at them with pity, even as they reject him. What kind of king does that? Only the true king, only the one who owns the flock. John chapter 10, we see Jesus fulfilling this pastoral role, this shepherding role for us, even more. John chapter 10, verses 7 through 18. This is a sort of longer passage. But if you'll notice, even in this one, he tells the disciples he has sheep of another flock, but first he talks about how the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Does that sound familiar? Scattered, driven out, destroyed. Like some of the same language that, that Jeremiah was talking about with these kings, these poor kings. John 10, 7 through 18 says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out to find, and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Wow. We finally get the full picture. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters the flock. He flees because he is a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Just as a father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, so that I may take it back. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back. This commandment I received from my Father. It's just an incredible incredible account from Jesus's own mouth about how he shepherds, about how it's completely opposite, but even so much more than what, what we expected. And 
in conservative circles, we often talk about this, that in Jesus' day, and I think we're, we do a good job of this, saying in, in Jesus' day, people missed it. They were looking for an earthly king, an earthly messiah, and they're right, but we, we still do that today. And they did it all along. You look through the Old Testament. They were looking for someone to save them from their right now circumstance. They, they weren't even worried about God's initial purpose, his global plan to use them as a light to the nations, to call others into him. That they demanded of God to be more like the nations instead of more like him and, and show him to the world. They said, we want a king. But God was the one who chose the shepherd language, and he gave them what they wanted. Take your medicine <laughs> with Saul. But then what happened? He raised up a shepherd boy. And f- from his example, flawed, broken man, murder. But from his example, that, that broken person who knew how to worship God, King David, God raised up King Jesus. He, he took from that line that he promised long ago from Abraham, that seed, and brought about the shepherd who would be the good shepherd. He even says about the other nations uh, and about his kingdom that Matthew 24, 14, I believe, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. So we know that while there's a double fulfillment in Jesus, there was kind of sort of partial with Ezra and Nehemiah, double with Jesus, there's going to be an ultimate when Jesus comes back. There's going to be a Jesus... Jesus' kingdom is inaugurated, but it's going to be consummated then. It's going to be like a a book shutting. It's going to be over. (laughs) And he will have sheep from those other folds there. He will have some from every tribe and tongue worshiping him. Just a few more minutes. I I want to ask you about the state of your own soul. Have you experienced the good shepherd? If you know like all these things I've been talking about for the fa- past few minutes, once we, once we start talking about Jesus, all these things are ringing true in your heart. You know, you get that Super Bowl feeling like you just want to, like, <laughs> like, yeah, I know he's taking care of me. He's brought me, he took me to still waters before. When my world made no sense, he took me there where I was just totally peace. I shouldn't have been. Everything around me is going chaotic, and yet, he, he led me through it. He provided food for me from his word. And that's how Jesus talks about the pastors. And that's how he tells the disciples to pastor, to feed his sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And we feed on his word. But if you haven't experienced that, if you haven't experienced even the warmth of a, a family, a body of God, and a home with the Father, with the Good Shepherd, then I invite you this morning to hear us call. It's like Jeremiah's crying out to us here that there's a branch of David coming. It was too late then. It's not too late for you. If you've got breath in your lungs, he's calling you to worship him. So if that's you this morning, I want to I give you that invitation and then look forward to how Jesus is going to going to wrap this thing up. Remember, I kept making the claim that this has been his plan all along and, and we've missed his plan. One last proof of that. 
Turn with me to Exodus 19, 4 and 6. And we can see that Jeremiah is just repeating what the whole Bible is stating over and over and over again. Exodus 19, 4 through 6. It says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So a kingdom of priests. Priests stand on behalf of God and mediate for the people. Kings rule people, help them, govern them, lead them. It's a whole different picture that God is painting of his body, of his, not just his elected officials or even in the church, the, the officers in the church, pastors in the church, but he's called us to be a shepherding people. Let's look in Revelation. So that was the be- almost the beginning of the book. Let's go back to Revelation and see it really is his purpose and it really is going to happen. He's kept good on his word, right? He sent the branch of David, Jesus, so we can be assured that he's going to do this too. Revelation 1, 4 through 8, you can put an asterisk there if you want to, but we're going to go to 5 because this is, I was like the precursor, John saying this is going to happen. Revelation 5, 10. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do 10 and 11, just so you can hear this beautiful picture at the end. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take. I'm, yeah, starting at nine. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slaughtered and you redeemed people for God by your blood from every tribe and language. This is Jesus. He became a lamb that was slaughtered and slain for us. His blood was perfect. He was righteousness. Remember Zedekiah. His name actually meant the Lord is righteous. And so Jeremiah was calling him out, saying he lives totally opposite of that. He's nothing like that. But the one who's coming, not only is he going to be righteous, he is righteousness. And he's our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. This is who Jesus is. Let me just read this again so we can remember who it is we're talking about. This is the king of the universe, the good shepherd. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you redeemed people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and elders. The number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, the lamb who was slaughtered is worthy to receive the power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. He's made us a kingdom of priests to reign with him. And he's going to have that, that kingdom of priests. 
those shepherds who follow after the good shepherd. Uh, I, I hope you're in that flock. I hope you hear him calling today. And if you're not, I just invite you to change that, to pray this morning to follow him.